You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you here in the room and as well, uh, welcomed into your home or onto your phone. Uh, sure appreciate you joining with us wherever you're at. And uh, yeah, we're excited about adding a new 10 o'clock service live in person. We know um, some are not comfortable coming. That's totally okay. We encourage you to keep watching from home. Uh, but for those who do want to come, as many have this morning at the 8.30, uh, we're excited to be able to offer that at the 10 o'clock as well, starting March 7th. Uh, so keep checking. Um, every Monday, we open open up that service for the week at westsidechurch.org slash attend, and we would invite you um, to come join us. Um, how is it in the room? Everybody enjoying themselves this morning? Yeah? About half the crowd is really enjoying themselves this morning, so... Uh, we're in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous uh, passages where he taught the crowds. Uh, this has been quoted for centuries, of course, and um, for those who maybe don't know much about Jesus' teachings or have not heard much about what he taught, there's a good chance that, that a lot of people, maybe this is the first thing or the only thing uh, that they've heard as far as words spoken from Jesus. They are so famous and so well-known. And so we want to look at this again today as we walk through uh, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start um, all the way back in verse 1 and kind of recap uh, the entirety of the Beatitudes that Jesus taught. Matthew 5 verse 1 says this, And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we get to this week's teaching. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we, we just invite you to um, illuminate and light up your words today. Um, I just think back that, that after so many hundreds of years since Jesus spoke this on the mountain, Lord, we are still um, asking for you to make this real in our hearts. And that's something really special. And so God, would you uh, give us understanding today of your word and your teaching? Lord, we love you and we welcome your presence here and wherever people are watching today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, about six weeks ago, our speaking team here at the church, we, we get together and we discuss upcoming messages. Um, and it's really kind of cool how through many voices we get some insights that maybe uh, just one of us in a room by ourselves wouldn't come to those conclusions. And so we discuss our messages. And so six weeks ago, we started discussing this idea of what it means to hunger and to thirst after righteousness. And the question that we began with was, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? And uh, some of the answers that came up, you know, what, what do people hunger for today? Um, they want security. Uh, we need money, always more money, right? Uh, romance and companionship. The end of COVID. Food. Anybody? It's just me? Okay, all right. Constantly hungry for food. And uh, in that discussion six weeks ago, I had my own list, uh, things that 
you know, I, I was hoping um, for goals for me and my family, uh, financial goals, travel goals, things that hopefully as, as the world opens up again this year that we'll be able to do again. And I had my list of things that, that I was longing for and hungry for. Um, but my list has changed in the last six weeks. You see, for the last seven years, uh, my wife has been undergoing treatment for cancer. Um, and for the last seven years, that was going really well, and the, the results were good uh, until a month ago. And a month ago, we got um, results of a scan that the cancer's back and it's moved. And if you or a loved one has been diagnosed with advanced stage cancer like this, you know that's not good news. And I wanted to share that with you, first of all, because we're family, and we would ask you, please pray for us. Uh, please believe and pray for healing for Alyssa. We, uh, you know, we're Pentecostals. You may not know that Foursquare, our denomination, we're Pentecostal denomination. We believe in healing. And so we're going to pray for healing, and we would ask that you would join us in that. Um, we so covet your prayers and your support as we face this disease again. But you know, as, as we've walked through the past month of kind of this new reality, what I long for has shifted. It's funny how disruption in your life will change your priorities. Have you noticed that? And so if you ask me today, what am I hungry for? You know, the list is still long, but at the very top of that list is one thing, it's time. You know, when you're young, you feel invincible, and it seems like life will go on forever just as it always is. Time, we got time for everything. And then disruption happens, and you realize what really matters and what really is precious. Jesus first comes onto the scene, and before he begins to teach his Sermon on the Mount, he's in the wilderness with John the Baptist, and he's talking about this thing called the kingdom of heaven that it's going to come. And uh, if we look at what Jesus is doing, his entire ministry and his entire mission is to bring about this understanding of what is priority. He's, he's trying to help people understand what is temporal and fading and not worth building our lives upon and the things that really matter. The things that are at the top of the list when your world is shaken. Um, you know, it's become so real in these last few weeks just how fleeting life is. Um, we don't need to see some end of the world apocalypse, bombs exploding and fire coming down to understand that all things are passing away. We feel it in our bones. We know this is not forever. And no matter how insulated we get from trouble in this life, uh, we have this understanding that not all is right. And that would be cause for despair if we didn't have hope in the coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus taught us to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that as it is above, so should it be below, that we invite the rightness and the right ordering 
and the priorities of God to infiltrate and fill our lives, not someday, not, not someday in heaven when we die, that, that that's where all things are made perfect. That is true, but we invite it here now. That in our city, in our nation, in our families, in our relationships, and the ones that we love, that the kingdom would come to us now. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter four, just a chapter before, he, he, he begins preaching and it says from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we have to understand that these beatitudes are not just like these nice moral sayings uh, you know, for coffee mugs. But this is the continuation of this message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That what he is about to do in, in giving these beatitudes, he's not just saying nice things to make your, your life a little better. He is saying this is just a description of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And if you allow yourself to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you're going to find blessing. You're going to find happiness. You're going to find peace for your soul. Uh, do you remember a man from the 1980s? and 70s by the name of Harry R. Truman, not the president, but Harry R. Truman. Harry R. Truman was a man who loved his cats. He has 16 of them. And uh, he lived uh, near Spirit Lake in Washington State. And if that doesn't ring a bell, uh, you might know it by the mountain that Spirit Lake sits underneath, Mount St. Helens. And, uh, and Harry was probably the most famous resident of the area. He lived in a lodge that he had built on the side of the mountain. And uh, he refused to leave. If you remember the stories, famously, Harry R. Truman refused to leave as in March of 1980, um, earthquakes began happening. The seismic activity on the, on the mountain began to pick up. And so uh, officials went again and again to his lodge and begged him, please get out. The mountain is unstable. And the last time on May 17th, they attempted one final time to persuade Truman to leave, but he refused. And of course, the volcano erupted the next morning. Anybody remember that in person? You saw it, you were there, or you know, uh, you were alive, I guess is the question I'm asking. <laughs> Quite a deal, right? Quite, um, my, my in-laws live in Hillsborough, and they remember ash falling for, for days and days after uh, the mountain exploded and just a, a layer like snow on their property from the ash of Mount St. Helens. And I don't want us to mistake what we read in the Beatitudes as nice, pleasant little statements that Jesus is, is tossing out there to inspire. We have to understand that what Jesus is doing as he is saying that the kingdom is coming and then he, he begins to go into these Beatitudes it's like he is the one standing on the side of the mountain, knocking at the door of the lodge, saying, don't trust what you've always trusted. Don't trust that what you've built your foundation and your life upon will last forever, because I see the end of all things that you have trusted so far, and it's time to move and put your foundation on something that will last forever, something eternal. Jesus, through these statements in the Sermon on the Mount, he's inviting us to abandon foundations that are destined to failure and to place our life and our hope 
and the anchor for our future upon something that is eternal, that will never fail. And so he launches into this. Um, the systems that Jesus was constantly challenging and questioning um, are the systems that really all societies are built on, and th- those are economics, family, politics, and religion. Now in that, you, you see those, those two, family and religion, well, those don't seem bad, right? As a professional religious person and someone who loves my family, those don't seem too bad. But even those, if you find as you read through the, the teachings of Jesus, he points out again and again that those are not eternal. That I cannot worship my family because eventually... I will be taken from them. I, I, I can't put all my hope in a system of religion that I do this and then God does that for me, that kind of give and take and transactional um, um, you know, relationship with God uh, because religion in the end is a facade or a construct that allows for control of people but doesn't always actually reveal the presence of God in your life. So we need something better. And of course, economics, as we learned in the stock market over the last few months, it doesn't take much to uh, turn everything on its head. Politics, they're pretty stable, but besides that, (laughs) it's shifting ground. It's moving. And The systems of the world have every interest in selling us on their stability, but we ought to know better that we are looking for a firmer foundation. And so Jesus begins to teach, and he opens up with this line uh, to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed or happy are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting that he addresses his most famous sermon first to the poor. Um, in Jesus' day, there are nine different layers of, of people in society. There's nine different rungs on society's ladder uh, and Greek words for each of those different rungs. At the top, on number one, you have the, the most rich and the most powerful. There's a Greek word for that. And then you get down to six, seven, layers down, and that's the peasant class. Those are the working people that, that don't own land. They, they, they work for a living. They, they till the land. They're agrarian. They're, they're poor, um, but they're laborers. And, and many times, especially in the parables and, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is among these kind of people, sixes and sevens, and he's, he's teaching them and, and using uh, parables and illustrations that would resonate with sixes and sevens. But there is a class much lower than sixes and sevens, eights and nines. And in Greek, uh, the phrase is literally the crouching ones. They are the untouchables. They are the cripples. They are the beggars. They are the ones that will never be anybody. They are the nobodies. And Jesus uses a level nine description of the poor for his most famous sermon. Level nines. These people are at the very, very bottom of society. 
they would have been seen as garbage. And Jesus makes it so clear as he begins into his beatitudes just who the kingdom of heaven was designed for. It was designed for nines. It was designed for untouchables. It was designed for the people underneath the ladder in society. And what Jesus doesn't do, um, and maybe you're hoping that I would help unpack in these Beatitudes the secret for success, you know? That Jesus maybe really what he was saying was, blessed are you poor because if you do A, B, and C, then you won't be poor anymore. Blessed are those who who mourn because if you follow a formula, uh, things will get much better for you. Blessed are the meek, uh, because if, if you just listen to what I say and do a few things and, and follow this pattern of living, eventually you won't be so meek anymore. He doesn't do any of that. He says, blessed are those who are poor, for you right now are the ones who are first in line for the kingdom of heaven. This is frustrating that Jesus doesn't offer better self-help. I'm sure that the people around him are thinking, man, life is tough. I mean, the, the Romans were taking two-thirds of their income in taxes. And then they would go to the temple, and then the, 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 the religious leaders would take another large percent of that for temple fees so that they could, they could hopefully convince God out of all their troubles that they have because they lost most of their income to the government and on and on it goes. These are beat down people, and so they come to Jesus, the teacher, and they're hoping... Maybe he has a pattern or a formula or a way that we can rise above this. And instead, Jesus says, right here where you are is where God meets you with his presence and his kingdom. And you, level nines, in the gutter of society, are first in line for what God's going to do. Because if there is one way to summarize what Jesus is talking about when he he talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's a rearrangement of what's important. It's a reordering of the entire system. Um, Famously, Frank Francis, Saint Francis, if you will. Famously, Saint Francis of Assisi um, embraced poverty at an extreme level as part of his mission and his ministry. And uh, he was so compelled uh, to embrace poverty. He grew up as a son of a wealthy merchant and um, as an adult, he entered into to ministry and he renounced all of his material possessions. Um, but it wasn't enough for him to be poor. He embraced a level of poverty uh, that was outrageous um, to where cooked food would be provided. He'd turn it down to eat raw food sprinkled with ashes so that it wouldn't taste too good for him. Um, he would purposefully uh, alter his clothes to make them less attractive. Some of you might be thinking, Evan, do you do that as well? <laughs> no. He would go after this level of poverty that even the poor among him, or uh, in his community in Assisi, they didn't have that kind of poverty. And I think you have to try really hard to maintain that level of poverty that St. Francis maintained. And what I'm not saying 
when we look at these passages is that the, the way to be happy is to seek out poverty, to seek out persecution, to seek out insults. We're going to talk about this next week. To try to be more hungry and thirsty. I'm not sure that that's what he's asking. And, and um, a commentary by Stanley Hauerwas, he said this, and I thought it was beautiful. Too often, these characteristics of the blessings in Christian history have been turned into ideals or virtues that we must strive to attain. When we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which of course is precisely the opposite of what he's trying to say. Rather, they are descriptions of the kinds of people to whom Jesus, in fact, first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or mourning all the time or try to get yourself persecuted. He simply announces the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those let into God's kingdom. What I'm trying and, and hopefully doing today is painting a picture that what God values and what society values are not the same things. And that should change how we interact with society around us, especially when it comes to the least of those among us. When we begin to understand the priority that the kingdom of God places on the most broken and the most poor and the most desperate in society, it will change how we respond as a people. And then we get to what the focus is this week, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, I, I pride myself on being mostly self-sufficient most of the time. Anybody with me? I mean, self-sufficiency is, is really a status symbol. I don't, I don't need anything from anybody that I can't create myself. Unfortunately, for many of us, it's also an idol that we don't need to ask for help, we don't need exterior support, we've got this. And that is something that will keep us from the presence of God and his kingdom. Because to understand that we're hungry is to admit that we lack, is to admit that there is an emptiness in us that we need God to fill. There is wrongness that needs to be made right. There is injustice that needs to be made just. And if you're hungry and thirsty, do you have what you need or do you lack it? You lack it. And so we hunger for righteousness because we see a world that lacks righteousness. We, we need justice for those who have not been able to get justice, who are facing injustice. Just like the poor, the mourning, and the meek, there are also people that are in those categories and also cannot receive Justice. And that's not me. I can afford justice. I'm a, I'm a home-owning, passport-carrying citizen of the U.S. of A, baby. Don't mess with me. If you assault me in the parking lot, which I hope my preaching is better than that, but if you assault me in the parking lot, I have access to justice for that. But it is not so for everybody. And it is easy for me to insulate myself from the plight of people who don't have justice, who are poor, who are hungry. I can live my whole life 
and not have to think about it. What a gift that is. But God invites us to think about it. God invites us to attach ourselves to the eights and the nines of the world because just maybe the view of the kingdom of God is better from level nine than it is from level one. Um, we were driving through Detroit, Oregon, um, a few weeks ago on the way to the coast. And um, if you've driven through there since the fires this summer, it's devastating what's happened in the San Diego Valley. Um, the town is gone. Just, just gone from the fires. And I remember back in, in was it August, September? Uh, when the fires were, were going through there, um, we all felt that, right? And, and our houses were filled with smoke. Um, it was intense. But you know what? The, the, the smoke moved out. And what did I do? I moved on. And as we drove a, a few weeks ago through San Am and through Detroit, it just struck me. These folks haven't been able to move on. This is their reality now. And I thought about this, that and so oftentimes when the smoke is in our house, so to speak, we'll pay attention to things like justice for the, the, the people that don't have justice. We pay attention to the, the plight of the poor. Or, or maybe we think about the homeless when it gets really cold and we know that, that, that people are, are suffering then. But, but then the smoke moves out and we move on. And, and I was just reminded as, as we were driving through that, that devastated town that, that we have to stay aware of the people that need righteousness. Rightness, justice, the kingdom of heaven to come to earth. And as we become the people who are constantly aware of the pain around us, that seems like a pretty grim job that we take on. But Jesus promises that for those who allow themselves to hunger and thirst for rightness, righteousness, justice in their world, there's blessing and happiness. How is this possible? I think it's possible because no matter what, you're going to hunger for something. You know that? You're going to hunger for something. And whether that's, that's security and, and financial prosperity or a, a new car or a more interesting husband... You're going to hunger for something. And Jesus invites us in the Sermon on the Mount for those of us who are ones and twos and threes up on the ladder who don't automatically get first in line to the kingdom of heaven, that if we're up on that ladder, we ought to. We ought to trade in our hunger for the things that we would naturally hunger for in society. We ought to trade that in for a hunger for righteousness and justice in the world around us. And we ought to let that hunger drive us to put ourselves in proximity with people who are hurting. I came here yesterday to the church. I was um, just finishing up some of my study and um, w there was young adults in the parking lot and Pastor Ben came in to my office after they're wrapping up and I, I didn't know what was going on. And he said, yeah, we just got, uh, we bought some used bike carriers behind the bikes and we're just loading them up with supplies and, and different things and we're gonna drive those bikes. Some of the young adults are just going to drive those bikes around some of the homeless camps in town and just encourage people. And I thought, well, that's beautiful. What a beautiful thing. You know, we don't, we don't always do it perfectly, but when we allow ourselves 
to interact and connect with people that are maybe a lower number on the socioeconomic ladder. There is a power in what God will do through our community. When we attach ourselves to the plight of the least of these, our lives and our community and our churches begin to look more like Jesus. It's a better hunger. It's a better fixation. Man, if, if, if instead of a new car, I long for God to come with his kingdom to my town, my goodness. If that was what I woke up thinking about, God, will you please bring rightness to where there's wrongs? Will you bring healing where there's sickness? Will you bring justice where there's injustice? Maybe the kingdom of heaven is easier to see from level nine. And this is what it does as we, as we connect ourselves to this hunger for rightness, God's righteousness, God's justice in the world. It replaces how can I get ahead for me and mine with this phrase that we've been talking about all year. What does love require? What does love require of us in this season? Home churches. Maybe you're watching with your home church today. Uh, what does love require in the neighborhood where you're meeting and gathering? What could we do? How can we show mercy? Little acts of mercy everywhere we go. How can we be a church that is known for mercy? My goodness. How can we love without motive? How can we give more than we've ever given? Financially, yes, but with our time and our care and our affection that we give and give and give. I was remembering, we went sledding with uh, Pastor Lindsay, our, our worship pastor, and and her husband, Eric, and Eric, I'm sorry, I did not ask you to share the story, but um, you had to get a new coat to go sledding in. And my wife told me the reason was because you were just driving by somebody on the street and he looked cold, so you, just, you gave him your designer jacket just right out of your, your truck. And I thought, my goodness, I wouldn't even think of that. But what would happen if we had such a, such a, approach to the community that God has placed us in, that nothing would be too great to give. Because the least of these have access to the kingdom of God. They are the ones that Jesus spoke to. And so Jesus, we invite um, just a new level of hunger and thirst for righteousness. We invite you, Jesus, to work in our hearts and then do the hard work in our souls uh, to where mercy becomes our default response to a hostile world around us. With people upset and angry and, and fighting every, everywhere we look, God, that mercy and righteousness, joy and the Holy Spirit would be our theme. And that as you work that into our church and our communities and our home churches and our community groups, God, there would just be a sense of your grace and your presence moving throughout your church. God, we love you and we thank you that the kingdom is coming now. It's among us and we welcome it. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.